Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Pactum. This is Mike Grimes here with Pat Abendroth. We're here for episode 45, and episode 45 is going to be a Pactum response. Not episode. a Pactum absolvum, because no. we'd have to change our theology to do that, but I, there's something in me that wants to say, I pardon you. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. To absolve people. <laughs> it, it, there's just something in me that wants to do it. Mike, you are looking rather uh, debonair over there. Well, um, what, what is it? I've what, added a happened? little swag. Oh, Mike Grimes has new Pactum gear, folks. I Can do. you see it? Can you, you see, see it? it? Just through your it earbuds, good, doesn't it? <laughs> through your speakers. <laughs> Imagine it. Mike is, he's got a new topper. I do. I've got a new Pactum hat on. Ooh. We've been doing some, I'm telling you, the Pactum I, hat thing has been a whole ordeal. I've lost my sanctification over the Pactum hat ordeal. We many are a time. so close now to having Pactum hats. We Before have, us, yes. in the Pactum studio, we do, in Mike Grimes' mother-in-law's basement <laughs> we have seven pactum hats we have flat bill we have trucker we have mesh we have different branding right yes there's all sorts of styles and things we're playing with trying to get it just right for you amazing what yeah. we're doing for you because we're not supposed to say everybody because oh. people don't listen to podcasts together so we did told cha- we should change the intro yeah I, the podcast mafioso uh, informed me that we're you know you, you have to speak directly to individuals oh but we have a pactum verse made you up do. of many individuals so i'm not sure how that's going to work out for us we're glad you how yeah. about that we're glad you are <laughs> listening today pactum Verse. Friend. Friend. Ver- <laughs> friendum verse. We're How gl- funny that said. Hey, you. Welcome to the Pactum. This is- <laughs> hey, hey, you. How you doing? Glad you're listening to the Pactum today. Oh, that was man. Mike Grimes. It wasn't Patty Abendroth, yeah, just so I- you know that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, this is the Pactum. It is episode 45, as I mentioned, and we are doing a Pactum responsum. That means we are here answering your questions Thank today. you for participating. Yep, thanks for sending those in. We've gotten a lot of questions from our several listeners yeah. recently, and we want to take probably a couple episodes here this week and next week to answer these questions because we want to make sure to get to all of them and not leave any of them out. We're going to cover every question you've been sending in. So That's where gonna... Pat gives Mike the look. Yeah. Like We might be leaving some of them out, <laughs> just so you are aware. Only the best questions will be left out. True. So don't feel left out if your question is left out because it just means we're try- trying to include you by leaving you out. Right. Do you see what I did there? I did. That was good. Inclusive and non-inclusive all at once. Very well done. Well, let's get the Pactum listener individual because we're talking individuals (laughs) their answers let's we're going to do a handful of questions today so let's start off with a question we got from listener garrett james are we saying first names and last names or is the cia going to come looking for them or the fbi or something like that i don't know garrett wants the shout out though right oh yeah yeah okay Garrett from south carolina so we got this question from garrett uh last name unknown from south carolina right (laughs) and he says hey brother was re-listening to a podcast and i heard you say something something about Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Yeah, he said, what's the backstory there? Uh, doesn't sound like he can be trusted. What's the story on Bonhoeffer? The story on Bonhoeffer, I'm not sure when we mentioned him, but I'm sure we did. We did. I remember talking about it and you doing the exact same uh, vocal uh, inflection It's because there. of my German background. <laughs> it is. Is what it is, right? Yeah. I remember walking down the street in Lincoln, Nebraska when I was a college student. My roommate, Jeff Schutte, and I, shout out to you, Jeff, if you're listening to the Pactum, and we're walking. I think we were going to an REM concert. And we mm. thought, what do you do when you go to an REM concert? You go to the Goodwill first to buy some like <laughs> hipster kind of funky clothes 
before there were hipsters. And this guy just looks at us and he says, hi, he puts his hand up. He goes, hi, Germans. <laughs> I, it's, it was the funniest thing. We, I mean, we're talking about it now and it's 30 some years later, but hi, Germans. So I feel, sometimes I feel like I have no stories compared to you have lived an interesting life. That's a weird, sure. weird life. <laughs> and speaking of interesting lives, yeah. to answer your question, Garrett, uh, and that is, what, what if it's Jarrett? I have many Pactum friends who I've not actually met. So um, Garrett Jarrett, we'll just call him. We'll just call him Doctor James. There we go, Doctor James. James wants to know. He wants to know. Bonhoeffer is one of those people that uh, we want to be careful to not do hagiography when you from the Greek word mm -hmm. uh, for holy. So we don't want to make them out to be more holy than they actually are. And more than likely, Bonhoeffer was not what we would call an evangelical. He wouldn't believe basic gospel things. Hmm. Um, and so we, we want to admire him for who he was. He was brave. He stood up against the Nazis and that's a good thing. So let's learn from Bonhoeffer how to be better Christians, even if we don't think Bonhoeffer himself was an evangelical Christian. Hmm. So if you want a good resource on this and we will put it in the show notes uh, by Carl Truman, since we've been tapping Truman have, quite yeah, often yeah. lately. Uh, he has a good article at ref21, reformation21.org on his series that he used to do called Postcards from Pukaville. Palookaville. Oh, I thought it was Pukaville. Palookaville. <laughs> they're they're both kind of funny. So <laughs> either way. <laughs> yeah. And Truman does a good job with this in his Luther biography as well. Let's not try to make Martin Luther just like us in order to like him. Yeah. He wasn't just like us. Right, right. But we can still like him. Yeah. So it's probably not a great idea to have Bonhoeffer be your go-to guy because he probably is someone you would evangelize. Sure, yeah. Is how that works. It's important that we remember that people are made in God's image and they do not have to be regenerate to do amazing things. Yes, yeah. They don't do good with a capital G. Right, They G. don't do righteous, capital R, <laughs> R uh, because they're not. But at the same time, it doesn't mean they can't do amazing, awesome things because the image is still there. Let's admire unbelievers, even if they themselves don't know why we're admiring them. Yeah. Yep. That's a great point. Um, so next question is from Brad Smith. We have several questions from Brad. Smith. Brad likes him some questions. Yes. He has several questions. He didn't ask any about Bonhoeffer though. No, he didn't. Before we get to Brad's question, yeah. Mike, since you think I live an interesting life, it's you because you must have a sheltered life. <laughs> I do. Yeah. But when Molly and I were first married, this is to help pack them individual listeners because mm. not many people listen together, right. but some might because some yeah. Molly and I, when we were newlyweds, and we would travel from one side of the country to the other side. And we had a cassette player <laughs> in our Toyota. And we would listen to the Theology Q&A. And we'd listen to the question. And then to pass the time, we'd push pause on our cassette player. And then we would see if we could answer the question or oh, how we fun. would answer the hey, question. That's a great and then we would push play again. So I think it's probably a good thing to do with Pactum listeners. Yeah. So one thing you can do if mm. you feel like you are extra in the know is as you're traveling from one side of the country to another or whatever you're doing, yeah. you can push pause and think, okay, I'm going to answer that. Yeah. I think I could answer that as good as the Pactum hosts. Probably maybe Mike better than Pat. Maybe Come better on. than. Come Don't on. be apocryphal uh, about know. this. <laughs> Let's move on to Brad Smith's question. All right. Oh, wait a second. Brad S. Brad S. Brad. Brad's question, or the first of Brad's question. We have, I have several families in my congregation that feel led to follow or apply several aspects of the Mosaic law. They observe the Sabbath, 
obey the food laws within reason, and even observe some of the feasts, always looking to Christ, though. They love the doctrines of grace and believe in salvation by grace through faith. They find none of this salvific, but in their walk feel led to observe these things. They don't find Christians like myself who do not feel so led to be in sin in any way. They're not legalistic about their practices. Interested in your thoughts on this? That is an interesting question, I think, Brad. Hey, Brad, you mentioned several Two different times, several yep. times, he, and he since we have several time. listeners, yeah. we think we, we, we kind of like your style, there, oh, yeah. Brad. That's nice. <laughs> How great is it, Brad, that these people affirm the doctrines of grace? How great is, is it that they are with you on salvation by grace alone through faith alone? So I would be grateful for that and positive about that. Uh, as far as thoughts on them, again, glad they're not legalistic about it, but my question is going to be, Why? Why are they into these things? Yeah. And maybe that would be a good question that you could thoughtfully ask them. Yeah. Why, why do you see the need to do this? Is it because they think they're, it's better for your diet? Mm. Is it make you a more mature Christian? Uh, or, or, or what is it? Yeah. What's the, what's the purpose? Yeah. Why? Why? Yep. yep. Because I would suggest, well, let's back up before we get critical about it. Let's back up. And we're sure that you know these things, Brad, but given the fact that Colossians two says in verse 17, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Mm. Why would we want to go back to the shadows when we have the substance? Right. So those things, those old covenant realities were good and important, but the emphasis is on the emphasis is on the word were. Yeah. They were good, but they were designed by God not to be lasting, not to be the substance. Christ is the substance. So now that we have the substance, it doesn't make sense to go back to the shadow. Right. Yeah. You used an illustration on one of our past episodes when we were talking about the shadow and the substance of like, let's say I have a picture of my wife in my office, which I do. And to say that I'm going to ignore Angie when she actually physically walks into the office because I'm too busy staring at and holding the picture. Exactly. You shouldn't have a picture of her shadow. Right. Wouldn't wouldn't that be weird? (laughs) It's kind of like going backward to old covenant realities. They're designed to be types and shadows. Right. Hebrews one, the ultimate revelation is not the type nor the shadow. It's actually the son himself. Right. Yeah. So ask them why. And then maybe they might think, well, this is because we're mature because we see uh, something that other people don't see. And I actually would be careful and thoughtful about how I would say this to someone if I were speaking with them in person. But actually, I think this is what immature Christians do. Hmm. Because if, if if they think they need to do these things, then that means they're immature. Sure, Thinking yeah. in terms of Paul and what he wrote in Roman, Romans and 1 Corinthians, the more mature are going to say, yep, that's past, that's gone. We don't need to do those things because we have the substance. We have Christ. Granted, it sometimes seems like you have less when you have the actual. Mm -hmm. And that was actually one of the problems going on, if not the major problem, in the book of Hebrews. Sure, yeah, yeah. The people had nothing. They didn't have the smells and bells anymore. Mm -hmm. And if they're in Jerusalem, they could have heard, not the smells, they could have smelled (laughs) the smells, they could have heard the bells, all the pomp and circumstance, and they're feeling like they don't have anything because all they have is Christ. Mm. But the author of the book of Hebrews is impressing upon them that they have the eternal, heavenly, substantive reality, which is far better than all of the other things that were never designed to be lasting, never designed to be the substance. And so let's try to do our best by God's grace to help people, to steer people toward the substance. And sometimes let's admit, it seems like we have less, Mm, even though we actually have more. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I would want to say about it. I also would want to say that the people who've done these kinds of things, um, 
when you push them on why, well, it's because, you know, back in the first century or before the first century, actually, they didn't have as good of refrigeration. And so mm. they had food laws about sure. the shrimp and all this kind of stuff. Uh, never mind the fact that they lived on the Mediterranean Sea. Right. So it, it, fresh fish was not a problem. Right. I think we have to remember that holiness means different, differentness, yeah. distinctness. Some of it was for a particular purpose. Some of it, in my humble opinion, was because it was meant to make Israel different. Yeah. As in to stand out, as in shrimp are good. God likes shrimp. God made shrimp. <laughs> <laughs> It's a new covenant reality, but we're going to make the Jews weird for a while because who in the world wouldn't like shrimp? Yeah. Oh, sorry, Mike. Yeah. You're allergic. I was going to say, this is terrible. Why are you doing this? I used to love shrimp. My co-host at the Pactum is allergic. Uh, He's allergic to shrimp. I am. So Fish, shellfish, all of it. It's terrible. Well, hey, speaking of Christmas, since you said I heard the bells, that made me think, I want to know, Pat, you, when we were talking about the smells and bells... And you said and they could hear Christmas. the bells. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. You know that song? I don't know the song. Uh, I knew it. See, this this is the question I want to get good. to. Mike, you, Mike, I live a pretty sheltered life. Right. You, you've Whatever. had a lot of experiences I haven't had. Are you, I want to know, this is my question for the Pact and Responsum. Are you a Scrooge McDuck? Or are you all about the Christmas stuff? I mean, like at our house, we put the Christmas Scroo- tree up. I've never heard Scrooge McDuck ever. <laughs> I like this. <laughs> We're a Disney family in my house, so everything pertains to Disney somehow. There is a Scrooge McDuck. Yeah, Scrooge McDuck. Okay. So we set up our Christmas tree in November at our house. I mean... We actually have a question in here. It might be next time. I'm not sure if we're covering it today or on the next episode, but we're going to talk about Christmas stuff. Are we talking about it today? I'm I'm just bringing it up now as a, are you into Christmas? Are you like a, I can't do that till Thanksgiving is over? I mean... I like Christmas. I've been listening to Christmas music. Since, How about that? Since? Since. I don't really know. Okay. A little bit before Thanksgiving. Hey. Only because Manchester Orchestra has a really, yeah. really, really cool Christmas album. It's good. So from, I, I dig it. All right. I, dig I, it. I was glad you at least listened to it. And uh, all Pactum <laughs> listeners who are godly Pactum <laughs> listeners surely are going to like Manchester Orchestra's new Christmas album. Not Mannheim Steamroller, Manchester Orchestra. Let the reader understand. <laughs> However you'd like to spin it to win it is fine by me. I like Christmas. I'm a fan of Christmas. Good. Uh, If you're not a fan of Christmas, I don't like Christmas. I'm not a fan of Christmas. I was was just curious if we could continue doing this podcast together. I like Christ Mass. I like Christ coming, and uh, let's celebrate it all the time. I'm all about it. We we have a tree set up in our house. Hey, that's great. Okay, but see, Mike, I don't want to do it. I don't want to set it up, oh. just like I don't want to play board games, just like I don't want to play cards. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I'll sit in the other room and do something else <laughs> and read a book and enjoy my family. I'm thankful for the Christmas tree. Just don't put it on me. <laughs> Is that fair? That's fair. That's funny. All right. Let's move on to our next question. B- let's, let's, let's do that. Let's do it. Okay. We're going to move on to a question from Jacob. Jacob O. Jacob O. Because we don't want to say yeah, his last we name. We won't say his last name. Um, so Jacob wants to know. Oh, Jacob. Israel was no doubt familiar with Deuteronomy 6.4, and many who reject the Trinity today will use this as their, quote, proof text to try and refute the Trinity. For Old Testament saints, did they have any sort of understanding of the Trinity? Yes. Next question. Yep, that's a great answer. That's exactly what I would say. Yes. There you go. <laughs> now, let's let's move on. Moving on. Jacob, it, it's a good question. And the Shema or the Shema, however you'd like to say it. If you're a Hebrew expert, you can say it the way you'd like to say it. But Deuteronomy 6.4, there is one God. Hear, O Israel, the mm-hmm. Lord our God is one. It's basic, fundamental. But one thing we need to remember as Christians 
is that that's our verse. Hmm. Um, that, that, that's not the verse of those who deny the Trinity. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's monotheistic and Trinitarianism is, is monotheistic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So one eternal God who has always been God and always will be God existing in three persons. Yeah. That's Trinitarianism, but it is most definitely monotheistic. Remember that Jesus himself was all about the Shema. So mm-hmm. in Matthew chapter four, verse 10, you shall worship the Lord, your God and him only shall you serve my paraphrase. But that's in light of the Deuteronomy passage, Yeah, yeah. which is if you can go on to read the Deuteronomy passage, that's the implication. So one God, therefore worship and serve him and him alone, because there's only one God. Jesus didn't pump that the Shema. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, now all of a sudden we're Trinitarian Yeah, yep. because he's the son. And if he's the son, he has a father. No, he actually stepped into it. He embraced it. Let's remember that first and foremost, as Christians, we are monotheists, but we are not Unitarian, but we're not Unitarian. Yeah. So let's keep the distinction there. Right. Another thing we should also keep in mind is the fact that surely with progressive revelation, things become clearer and we move obviously into the New Testament and we have the incarnation and we have the fuller revelation of Jesus Christ as the God man. Uh, And so obviously we're going to understand things better. But once we understand things better, and we do on the Pactum read the old in light of the new <laughs> yes. and the new in light of the old, yep. we're going to read the Bible holistically and say, we see Trinitarianism all over the place, right. not just in the new, but also in the old. Mm-hmm. If you need a good resource on this, just as a starter, uh, Jacob, I know that you're quite the Bible student and you already have great resources, but other Pactum individual listeners who aren't listening with their spouse <laughs> in a car ride on a cassette player or something <laughs> like that. Don't, I don't know where that came from. Uh, we'll put a link to an interesting video regarding the Trinity in the Old Testament by Fred Sanders. Hmm, yeah. uh, he talks about interpretive integrity, which I think is a great label in the video, uh, because how, how should we find evidences of the Trinity in the Old Testament? And I think Sanders does a good job articulating such things. Uh, and it can be helpful and edifying. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes. In the show notes. Great. Uh, let's move on to an, a second question. It's got to be the last one from Brad S. This is it, Brad. This is your this is your second and last question in this episode. Brad <laughs> says, I have been toying with the idea of adding wine as an option oh, along don't with do the it, juice. Don't do it, Brad. Let me just tell you <laughs> right now. Been there, done that. He's don't do to- it. He's been toying with adding wine along with the option of juice during communion to accommodate those with certain convictions. Oh, okay. But it has caused a stir, very minor, he says, among our elders. I have some thoughts on the matter, but would love to hear yours. Brad, we just want you to know that in 1869, 100 years before I was born, Dr. Thomas Bramwell Welch, Welch. the physician and dentist by profession, successfully pasteurized Concord grape juice to produce an unfermented sacramental wine for fellow parishioners at his Vineland, see where that went, Vineland Methodist Church in Vineland, New Jersey, where he was a communion steward. steward. Yep. So old Dr. Welch, now we know where Welch's grape juice came from. He was a pietistic, uh pietistic Methodist. I think he may have been a deacon. I can't remember, but he for sure was a communion steward. He was a communion which, steward. What, we ha- whatever we that means. get some communion stewards. It kind of sounds nice. It does. So it's title. There, there is that. So I did a sermon series years ago, Brad, called Wine or Welch's. And uh, I think it was patently biblical. I'm not sure that it was wise to do, um, but we, we made a point. You went for we, it. We, we made a point here at Omaha Bible Church, and uh, the elders made a point, and... Uh, 
we lost people over it, but it is kind of what it is. So some things to think through, um, be prayerful, be thoughtful, be kind, learn from our mistakes, <laughs> perhaps. But it is good to help people know what the Bible teaches and what it doesn't teach. I don't want to leave people where they are, and I'm sure that's part of what you're thinking as well. The Bible is clear that God gave wine to make the heart glad, Psalm 104. Mm -hmm. The Bible is clear that wine is not grape juice mm -hmm. uh, because you don't get drunk on grape juice, Ephesians 5, mm -hmm. regardless of what com some commentators <laughs> might say. Yeah. So... It is unfortunate that with Dr. Welch and others, we had to say what God says is good is actually bad and Christians can't right. drink it. Right. Uh, let's go on the record as saying drunkenness is sinful. Drunkenness yes. is bad. Right. But wine itself is not bad. Yeah. So I, I would rather have people drink wine for communion because that's what the apostles did. Uh, that's what Jesus did. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jesus didn't turn wine into grape juice. Right. But they actually drank wine, and it is because of an ungodly perspective on life and creation that we started doing it the other way. Right. Yeah. So I'm all for using. We only use wine here. Oh, that's actually not true. Now that now we, we now that we do COVID, you know, the, the COVID communion. We, yeah. We, what, what do we call these communion? On Sunday, devices? I referred to them as. At one point, I said communion cup, communion device, and prepackaged communion cup. So I, I use three it's a, different It's labels. a communion delivery system. Oh, I like that. <laughs> that we use. <laughs> so once before COVID and probably after COVID, we have wine that's regular wine and non-alcoholic wine for those who don't want to have that alcoholic. Yeah. Um, but lots of objections come about. Things like, what about the weaker brother? Yeah. And the first thing I would want to say about that is read John Murray's Romans commentary on that. There's an appendix called The Weaker Brother. The Weaker Brother is not someone who is an alcoholic. The Weaker Brother is not someone who used to be a drunk. The Weaker Brother is someone who thinks something that is good is bad. Mm -hmm. And so we do want to be careful with The Weaker Brother. But at the same time, usually people think The Weaker Brother is someone who the Bible is not actually even talking about. Mm. So think through that issue so you can help people think it through. Most people don't understand it. Murray does a really good job in his Romans commentary on that. Uh, at the same time, I want to be a kind brother and not be a mean-spirited <laughs> brother. Yeah. So yeah. I want to be patient with people. Right. There is a helpful yeah. resource that we probably should mention, and that is a book by Kenneth Gentry. Uh, Gentry is... Gentry's a theonomist, oh, so I, we don't usually recommend. We don't usually recommend such folks on our Saying podcast. No to but Gentry's book called "God Gave Wine" is actually quite helpful in just helping, not on this issue in particular, but Christians and alcohol. And I think he does a good job with it. So we would commend it to you. There are other issues involved, like what about children? What can they do? What can they not do? At least where we live, uh, if it's for sacramental purposes, I mm. think it, the law says it's fine for children to drink a thimble full of wine. Sure. Yeah. But we do have the non-alcoholic. We, non yeah. um, we put them in purple cups purple. for the scarlet letter, just to be clear <laughs> on which way we're going there. <laughs> purple, grape. Great purple. We don't know. It, we put, it helps we, you. you we, know, we put something visualize. in the bulletin. So yeah. I, I kid you not, Brad, we, uh, w when we tried to be thoughtful, patient elders about this, we put something in the bulletin uh, talking about the weaker brother. And the, so if you are a weaker, <laughs> if you're a weaker <laughs> Christian, right? <laughs> my, uh, Mike, Mike, is I busted. wasn't here. I wasn't here for all this. Mike would have helped us. So, I, wow. Yeah. So, <laughs> so if you are a weaker Christian and think that Christians shouldn't drink alcohol, the purple cup is for you. Okay, we were a little bit more tactful than that. 
but maybe not much. Oh, wow. I missed yeah, it. Yeah, I'm thankful that the Lord is patient and kind. What we said was true, actually. Yeah. Uh, but it was probably slightly offensive. Isn't it interesting how the Bible would say that a mature person, a mature Christian, they can eat whatever kind of meat it is. Yeah. It can be sacrificed to idols. Sure, they can yeah. drink whatever, provided it's not for drunkenness, it's fine for them. Whereas the it's actually the immature Christian can't do these things because it violates their conscience. Yeah. And we actually don't want people to violate their no, conscience, yeah, no, no. which is one of the reasons why we offer regular wine and non-alcoholic wine. Yep. Maybe one more thing about Gentry. I think, as I recall, Gentry actually has a biological condition or a, oh, excuse me, a medical condition. Medical condition. And he does not drink alcohol, so he's not actually just trying to promote mm. his cause. Oh, that's interesting. Yep, it is very interesting. Yeah. Okay, well, let's move on to another question. This one is not from Brad. Uh, because we've cut him off now for the episode. This... Thank you, not from Brad, for submitting the next question. <laughs> this one comes to us from Eric. He says, I'm reading through Ezekiel currently, and a question occurred to me. How do you guys interpret Ezekiel 40 through 48? As a dispensational premillennialist, I would say those chapters outline what religious life in the millennial kingdom would look like, with those sacrifices outlined not being efficacious, they never were anyway, he says, but instead pointing back to what Christ has done, much like the Lord's Supper. Just curious how those in the Reformed tradition interpret those chapters. Grateful for your question, Eric, and we're grateful that you asked us to comment on it. There are different understandings from a Reformed tradition, so we can't represent all of them. But I think what we probably want to do, first of all, as we think about Ezekiel 40 to 48, is to consider the fact that in that text itself, oftentimes dispensationalists aren't aware of this or they've not thought about it, but it actually says that the sacrifices made there by priests make atonement. Yeah. So I realized the common dispensational view, the one I was taught, is that it's a memorial sacrifice in the future during the millennium, the millennium te millennial temple, and it's going to be memorial sort of like communion. But when you actually read the text, and I was really pushed to always be a literalist mm -hmm. as a dispensationalist yes. in a former life, Ezekiel forty-five fifteen says, to make atonement for them. 45.17 says, to make atonement on behalf of the house of Israel. Verse 18 says um, that it's to purify the sanctuary. So it's actually doing something. Then it also says in verse 20, for anyone who has sinned. So this is for sin. And it says, so you shall make atonement for the temple. Hmm. So actually, it's not memorial. Right. Actually, actually there's atonement. atonement. Yeah. So, hmm, Houston, we have a problem with the mm. memorial view. I did find one dispensationalist uh, referenced writing in an old Dallas Theological Seminary journal who actually said that it is, what does he say here? This is a guy named Hullinger, Jerry Hullinger. And he says they actually achieve genuine atonement uh, in the sense of purgation. What a word, Whoa. which I thought was kind of interesting. He, I don't think he goes on to really explain it, but he, he's, he's being the literalist. So I guess he's at least playing by the dispensational rules. Hmm. I personally, Eric, uh, don't believe that once Jesus Christ comes in light of the book of Hebrews and makes his once and for all sacrifice as the ultimate high priest, mm -hmm. believe that there's any need for future atonement. And so I have at least what seems to be a conflict between a futuristic reading of Ezekiel 45, what seems to be a conflict, yeah. and Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 9, quite honestly, the whole book of Hebrews. So 
For example, Hebrews 10.10 says, And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, notice, once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Notice finality. It is complete. It is sufficient. No more to be done. Then verse 13 says, waiting from that time until his enemies, his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Also in chapter nine, we could go back there once for all into the holy places. Mm-hmm. In chapter nine, verse 12, we could look at 13. We could look at 14. Quite honestly, uh, Eric, the book of Hebrews kind of did my dispensationalism in. Mm, yeah. And so be fair warned, buyer beware, because if it's once and for all, we don't need any future priests. We don't need any future temple uh, in a literal sense where literal sacrifices are being made as dispensationalists say they're going to be because we don't need atonement. Mm. And so what we've done at this point in time, fair enough, if your objection is, well, you've just told us what it can't be. Yeah. So what is it? That's the right? question. Yeah, right? You haven't told us what it can be. Right. What can it be? Yeah. For example, the Reformation Study Bible, which is probably a pretty good mainstream Reformation kind of source, sure. gives a good note on this, and I, I would I would find this appealing. Through the use of a symbolic vision, so, oh, it's symbolic, it's not literal. Hmm. Uh, a symbolic vision the prophet describes through architecture, legislation, and geography, a point in the future when the presence of God among his purified people will transcend anything Israel had experienced in history. And I think it's quite a helpful note because if you compare Mosaic, Old Covenant, sacrificial system with what's being depicted in Ezekiel, actually what's being depicted in Ezekiel is something greater, Mm. something grander. And Ezekiel is looking forward in a prophetic vision from my perspective and others' perspectives, looking forward in this prophetic vision of a day that will be greater than their day, Mm. where there will be a greater temple, as in a temple is where you go and you meet with God. And I think what Ezekiel's doing is using language that his listeners then and there in his day were familiar with. Sure, yeah. And he was familiar with saying, we're going to have a better atonement. We're going to have a better Hmm. sacrifice. We're going to have a better temple. And in in fact, there would be one. Hmm. And his name would be Jesus, John chapter 2. Right. And so... Another, a couple of other good resources. One would be, this is Meredith Klein from yeah. Kingdom Prologue. He puts it this way, a prophetic portrayal of the eternal royal dwelling place of the Lord. That's a mouthful, right? Yeah. I'll say it yeah. again. So he, Ezekiel's describing in Ezekiel 40 and following a prophetic portrayal. So this is prophecy and describing something in the future of the eternal royal dwelling place of the Lord. Mm. It's going to be, it's going to be like what we have now, Ezekiel's time, what they're familiar with, but it's going to be far more transcendent, better, Better, grandeur, more awesome, all of those kinds of ways to describe it. Yeah. Klein also says he, he uses another uh, more Kleinian verbiage, let's say. Kleinian verbiage. Okay. A prophetic copy of the heavenly sanctuary. Hmm. So how do we describe heaven when we ha- don't have the incarnation yet? We don't have all of the T's crossed and I's dotted yet. Well, it is going to be like what we have now, but it is going to be far, 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 far greater. Yeah. And once we have the book of Hebrews, we can have the aha moment and say, aha. Ah. It is indeed what he was using his language to describe, but it is far more than any physical kind of temple. Yeah. 
That's where I'm coming from. That's how I would understand it. Uh, I hope that's helpful. I realize it's a shock to the system if you say, you know what, we don't need to have a future temple because if you take Ezekiel as a wooden literalist, it looks a lot like you do, but here's the challenge, Eric, and that challenge is, and also Pactum listeners beyond Eric, he says atonement. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to make your choice. Are you going to say, well, atonement doesn't mean atonement? Mm. Or are you going to say maybe in describing the sacrifices in the priesthood, maybe it's looking forward to something grander. Sure. We, everybody has to make a decision. Everybody has to say, all right, something here probably shouldn't be taken literally. I'm going to take it as literal atonement yep. uh, and have it describe a greater high priest describing a heavenly sanctuary. Yep. Well, let's wrap up the episode with one final question for this episode, but I do think we have enough questions. We're going to be doing one more Pactum Responsum episode next week. So let's wrap up with a final question from Kyle. Kyle had just recently listened to our uh, God Told Me So episode. Oh, and we would like to tell everyone else who hasn't listened to that, God wants you to listen to yeah, it. Yeah, he does. God so, told me to tell you to listen to that. Oh, <laughs> man, the, the power of Mike Grimes when he's sporting a Pactum hat. Hey, you know, it's it adds a little bit of uh, swagger. Okay, to sw- okay. Anyway. So he's listening to that episode, and he has a question. Basically, the gist is this. You're talking with someone who's praying about a certain topic, XYZ, whatever it may be, and they open their Bible and it addresses that very matter. And so it seems like God has answered their question via Bible roulette. Kyle, I think this is in one sense better than someone saying God told me, because at least they have chapter and verse. They can open their Bible and say, yeah, this is actually what the Bible says about this. But as I understand it, Kyle, you're talking about they're trying to work through a certain issue. They go to the Bible and they find the answer right there in the Bible. Well, I I just want to be cautious. I mean, providence is real. God does work uniquely, and God could take them right to the right page, even though we have thousands of verses. He he absolutely could do it. I just might not play that game yeah. uh, because it does seem kind of Bible roulette y. Uh, you know, open that. You know, what what does God want me to do? And you can just find the yeah. verse. Judas went out and hung himself. Yeah. Ah, there's your verse for the day. And yeah, I, oh, that yeah. can't be it. So you find another verse. Go and do likewise. That can't be it. You find another verse. What you do, do quickly. <laughs> Right? We, we've heard that a hundred times, at least I have before. All of those verses are in the Bible, but clearly that's not what God wants you to do. Right. So we have to be cautious that we're not doing mysticism, that the Bible's not this talisman kind of thing, like a special stone you rub a certain way. So far better, let's answer this on the positive, far better to read the Bible, to meditate on the Bible, to study the Bible, to know, therefore to know the mind of Christ so that we can know what it is we need to know and make good decisions Mm, and we can make wise choices about life. So that's a better way to go. We would far more want you to hear God's voice. Yes. From his written revelation. Yes. But in context, we can make the Bible say anything and we don't want to do that. We want to pay attention to what the author wanted us, the divine author via the human author wanted us to understand so that we can live for his honor and for his glory. We've got more great questions. We're going to do another episode next week yeah. on the Pactum Responsum part, whatever part it is, on episode 46. We really appreciate the fact that so many of you are giving us five stars on iTunes or wherever it is you listen to the Pactum. Thank you for sharing it with your friends. Someone just told me this past week that they have friends on the Pactum train. Oh, So we are grateful for that, and we are grateful for you. Yeah. Mike Grimes, how should we end the program today? Let's end it like we always do. Hey, you can find us online on Twitter. 
at the Pactum. Instagram, the Pactum Theology. You can always be sending more questions. We'll get to more Pactum Responsum episodes in the future. Connect at thepactum.org. Thanks for joining us here today. We'll see you here next week on the Pactum. <laughs>